0: The Bible is full of prophecies, and at this time of year, many are revisiting the prophecies about the birth of Christ. Zechariah and Elizabeth are told they will have a son who will make ready a people prepared for the Lord, which is a fulfillment of a prophecy about the return of the prophet Elijah. Why is John the Baptist equated with Elijah, and how can either help us prepare for the Lord today? What they correspond to is the key. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we discuss how the perfection of heaven increases as it grows. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, explores the correspondence of the creatures on Noah's Ark. Then we travel to 1759, when Swedenborg crossed paths with the deceased King of France, Louis XIV, and learned of his vested interest in the decisions of the living King of France, Louis XV, this week in history. Hey, Curtis, welcome. Hello, Chelsea, how are you? I am doing well. How are you doing today? Great.
1: Good, good, good. Glad to be here.
0: Good. Yeah, so this past week's topic on uh, the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel was our show, The Real Identity of the Angel Gabriel in the Christmas Story. Yes. Yes. And as usual, we have a weekly reflection question. And so one of the interesting points that is made in that show about the Angel Gabriel, you know, kind of the punchline, is that this interesting thing that Swedenborg learned in the spiritual world that... Uh, Angels can look and even act almost as a single human being, a whole community of angels together. And that community of angels can sort of be described by a name. And that's how it was with the angel Gabriel is you've got one angel appearing to people, but it's sort of like the Gabriel representative from the Gabriel community or something in the spiritual world. So that travels well. I mean, that really aged well is what
1: I should say. Yes, because I'm right. just thinking back to, you remember like we would, you know, we mentioned a couple of times on our channel, the idea that Swedenborg existed at a time where science in general, like the, all fields of study were simple enough that one person could do pretty well at all of them. Right. And so back then, you know, it could be, oh, one famous angel who's really important to God could it make, still there was a ton of people, but it could make a little more sense. But <laughs> fast forward to today where you can't even master your little teeny slice of your discipline because things have gotten so complex. The great products and things are brought out by teams of thousands and thousands of people. The idea of one angel doing uh, important things in God's bidding seems more and more antiquated, but the idea of that being l- the label for a group, almost like a, a company, no, yes. oh, that sits that's, great.
0: Exactly, and that's so funny because it makes me think of like... uh of Off the Left Eye as people, it's it's like, it's Angel Curtis, you know? Like the, and then there's a whole bunch of us who are like part of that team that creates Off the Left Eye, and yet people are interacting most like with you directly. And so that's just <laughs> yes. a similar sort of a thing, don't you think? I hadn't ever thought right. about it that way until you said right.
1: it. P- public face of uh, what is a complex, multi-person, multidisciplinary effort. Yes,
0: exactly, and cool. Well, so here's the reflection question. It's, and it plays right into this. Obviously, is what's a way that you have felt energized by working in teamwork with other people?
1: Well, let's let's stay on the off the left eye train. Yeah. (laughs) So, off the left eye, it's not huge now, but it's huge compared to where it was. And I remember when we were much smaller and didn't really have—if you think of off the left—I like a person. We just didn't have enough people. You know, it was a very small team. Not enough people to really fill out all the functions. Like, not all the organs were there yeah. in the body. Because I remember like us getting a bunch of views on videos, but did we? We didn't really have the time to pursue relationships with all the people who commented. We didn't have our like uh, development or donations game very tight. I knew we were like letting. potential collaborations and things slip through the cracks. You know, the, the writing could be more in depth. There's all these things that felt like it felt the way you feel when your room is messy. Yeah. It's like, Oh, we're just not, it's not tidy. But now that we're filling out and that we've got people who are putting best practice SEO into things, our community, uh, management team is really tight. We, we know how to work with people when they, Want to reach out to us? It just feels great. It feels like, oh, this this thing, the, the, you know, these ideas that are so awesome, are getting the professional treatment, the full full service human organism treatment that they deserve. So to me, that that feels really exciting.
0: Yes, totally. And I love that idea. That I mean, ever since I came on back in like twenty fourteen, I guess it was or something, was like this sense that there was so much potential, you know, I mean, it was what we were doing already and what you guys were doing already was amazing. And then, but it just felt like there was this infinite potential to what we could do and how do we, you know, how do we grow into whatever that is? And definitely part of it is like needing more people working out, you know, this, uh, you know, structure of, organized people that can work together to make even better things happen and you know grow it and that's uh it really does make me think about how um Swedenborg says that heaven is perfected by the number of people who are there and that that sort of like makes it more and more well-defined and uh, that's that's definitely been my experience with with off the left eye and that now working as a team, I don't know, it's just yes, yeah, really talk about energizing because it is fun to have so many different parts and working together to to serve people and bring these ideas to into people's lives. And so, um, I think that's that's awesome. I feel like it was also reminding me of how Swedenborg talks about how uh angels houses they can have like rooms appear in their houses they're like oh somebody's coming but we don't know who that is or something like yeah um, right. that sort of as their spiritual family is growing and and I kind of feel like that's what what that this has felt like too where it's like oh there's these empty rooms and I wonder what's gonna go there or you
1: know yeah well you, and I just always thought of off the left eye benefiting from scale I don't think oh if we get too big it will get won't really be anything for people to do, or it'll be too corporate or something. I can see, like, I I think of places like Google, where there's a ton of smart people pouring everything they have into doing really intense, cool things. And I think, oh, yeah, Swedenborg's ideas rendered at that scale would just be even more potent. So definitely, there's, there's a lot of rooms that we're hoping to fill.
0: You're right. That's fun. All right. Well, I think I think that satisfies it. I think we sort of co-responded to this reflection question this week.
1: <laughs> yeah, you mean like a team?
0: Yeah, like a te- teamwork. <laughs> I'm energized right now. <laughs> so great. Um, that's fun. Well, so to hear other people's responses, you can find them on the community tab at our YouTube channel or on any of our social media platforms. You'll find it there, and you can look forward to a new one every week on Thursday. And so also with this. Uh, the subject this week with the angel Gabriel that Gabriel's very active in the Christmas story you know he's showing up to everybody and giving these announcements and these directions right. and and all this stuff and uh, there's this a little extra tidbit that didn't quite make sense to put in the show but it's a fascinating point that Swedenborg makes is that when um when Gabriel appears to Zechariah and announces to him that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a son and who they are to name John, and that's John the Baptist, uh, he the angel says this about It says, with the spirit and power of Elijah, he, John, will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that's you know, this prophecy about John the Baptist, that he's going to prepare the way and that he's going to have this spirit and power of Elijah. And that's actually quoting or referencing back to this prophecy in Malachi that um, says this from chapter four. It says, "'Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes.'" He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. Now, this parallel and this like reference back has given a lot of people the idea that John the Baptist is actually a reincarnation of the prophet Elijah. Got it. And and so... The question is well what does swedenborg say about that you know like can swedenborg help us clear this up and he can because what he says you know through his um studying the bible and correspondences as he understood it you know as he was enlightened to understand it um, got that that reference is made because john the baptist and elijah both represent the literal sense of the word and it's the literal sense of the word that prepares the way for the living presence of the Lord. You know, it's, pre- it's what prepares the Lord's coming, you know, spiritual awakening. And, uh, and so that's like a cool, you know, that kind of makes sense to me. How does that land with you?
1: Oh, well, I think it's a deft maneuver on Steve <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> part because, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't Talk about reincarnation. He seemed we did a whole show on it where he really, as far as a soul returning to the physical world, he doesn't seem to be a proponent of it. But what do you do with this? Yeah, they're referenced. These two different people have the same prophecy told about them. But this this move of it being actually not about any person, but about the literal sense of the word is fantastic because both of those people were working to prepare the way, which is what it does, but it also it becomes about something that is accessible and relevant to everyone at all times. I don't care yes. how great Elisha or even John the Baptist was, they're still pretty deep in the past, 4,000 years ago. It's fine. <laughs> okay, I get it. He made it so Jesus could come, but... There's a limit to the imp- I guess, that he led up to the events that would lead to Jesus, which were, was of great importance, of course. But how much does John really do in my life other than I need to give him his due for what he did? no, no, no. no. <laughs> He's just talking about something that you're interacting with in your life, so it just becomes absolutely alive.
0: Yes, it flows right into, like, what can we do right now? Like, there's actually present application and relevance to our t- our lives. And it makes me think of like, this time of year is when people are celebrating the Advent, you know, having looking toward Christmas, and people often do, um, you know, kind of devotional things during this time. And especially when we're in the, you know, heart of winter, at least in the northern hemisphere. Um, so things are colder and darker and everything. But, you know, so we're anticipating the coming of the light. And I feel like it's a message like this that can help us sort of get inspired to maybe engage more, engage a little bit more with the literal sense of scripture and, and see how it might be working to prepare us for a sense of the, you know, living reality and energy of the Lord that is active and right around us all the time, you know? So just sort of how can yeah. that, it could, it could play a part in our lives right now. Totally. Cool. Well, that's that's fun to explore. And so, now then, this coming week we have another uh, episode in this vein, and this show is going to be called "How to Allow Angels to Change Your Life." And so, we'll be exploring that on Monday, and so you can watch on the YouTube channel on Monday and catch the news from heaven that week on Wednesday. And then, of course, we've got our live show. The last one of the year for the uh, for Swedenborg Live on Friday following that show. So this will be a great way to close out the year. And thanks so much for chatting with me, Curtis. Will you stick around to uh, see where Swedenborg was this week in history at the end of the show? I can't wait. All right. All right. Now it is time for the NCE Spotlight, our chance to visit the virtual desk of the NCE and see what insights and discoveries are happening there. Welcome, Jonathan.
2: Oh, thank you, Chelsea. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I'm so, so curious to hear what you might have for us this week. Such, well, I have to say, it's such a kindness of you to let us come every week and knock at your door and see what's <laughs> going on to be interrupted. Oh, it's it's the only work.
2: time I see other people. Good. Okay,
0: good. <laughs> Hear other people. Yeah.
2: That's right. Here, I don't really see them.
0: No. Uh, well, I'm grateful for your company, and I'm glad we can accompany you.
2: <laughs> yeah, what's on my mind this week is not so much of a historical question like other ones that we've been exploring, but um, mm-hmm. I just really had some thoughts when I was reading Secrets of Heaven recently on the subject of Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. And um, a neat sort of thing happened in my head that I'll try to share that I think is actually meaningful at this time and at all times kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I'll just come into it sort of sideways by um, talking about, you know, there's um, there's that— sort of puzzle that they teach children sometimes, like a mathematical sort of puzzle of um you have a man and he has a fox, a chicken, and a bag of corn that he wants to get to the other side of a river.
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah. And
2: so he knows the nature of the fox, that the fox, given a chance, will eat the chicken. And he knows the nature of the chicken, that given the chance, the chicken is going to eat the corn. Yes, So. What he ends up having to do is to take the chicken across, leave it by itself, come back, get the fox, swap the fox for the chicken, bring the chicken back, <laughs> load up the corn, take it over, then take the chicken over. Then they're all on the, on the same side. And so that's really tricky to figure out how to get these three beings, <laughs> the man, the fox, and the chicken, and this bag of corn on one little journey across the river. Now, think about Noah's Ark, where you were trying to get all animals, all birds and all creeping things onto uh, one boat at the same time.
0: Oh, uh, yes.
2: Not seven trips. You're not taking trips. <laughs> you all got to get on there at once. And I, I think a lot of people probably share the view that this seems like a... A children's story, you know, the animals go in two by two and and all that kind of thing, but Mm -hmm. it's quite implausible rationally to think about it. Uh, If you think about it, you'd have to figure out which animals like other animals and don't like them. You'd have (laughs) to know a lot about everybody, what they eat, you know, that person in the story knows the fox and the chicken and and the corn. Not to put them together, yeah. Yeah, yeah, knows which ones you do. So uh, Noah would have to know, well, don't put the rhino next to the centipedes. He's actually scared of centipedes, and so you have (laughs) to put a wombat in there. And then, you know, just knowing how all the different things, there's a certain order Mm. that they can all go in where it works. (laughs) Yes. And, And uh, it takes great wisdom and love to know what that is. So how Swedenborg explains this was really astonishing to me because it really does say every animal, every bird, every creeping thing. He says that the animals correspond to our feelings. Mm -hmm. And as you may remember, some of those animals were clean and some were unclean. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't that the clean animals got to go on the ark and the unclean didn't. They all are invited onto the ark. They they had seven by seven for the clean ones and two by two for the unclean. Same with the birds and uh, creeping things. And so there's actually two grand categories of clean and unclean that are all invited onto the boat. How is that going to work? Mm -hmm. with the humans and everything, uh, just a small group of people, uh, in order to repopulate the earth after this terrible flood. Well, um, Swedenborg says that the boat is salvation, and you can kind of imagine that that's the case, Mm -hmm. because there's going to be a flood. Everything's going to be destroyed. So the one thing that's going to save you is getting on that boat, And that's the boat of salvation and and renewal. That's how we get forward into the future. And um, in terms of the individual, how he explains it is that these are all the different feelings and thoughts. Now, I have to say, Hmm. from my few years of experiencing being a human being, (laughs) I seldom know exactly what i'm thinking or what i'm feeling or yeah. why or which feelings go together or which one is in charge of another one you know uh, if yeah. is there a hierarchy and which ones are in charge and usually
0: know. there's a whole bunch of feelings that i just don't even want to come on the boat <laughs>
2: <Like everything>. absolutely <laughs> and some of those feelings if you observe yourself for any length of time you see that some of your feelings don't like your other feelings <laughs> yeah. Some of your thoughts don't like your other thoughts or they're quite incompatible with them. You can mm. think opposite things, even whole philosophies can be quite opposite in your same head. <laughs> yes. And um, it would take so much knowledge, more knowledge than any uh, person possesses to know all the animals and birds and insects exactly uh, and thoroughly, to know how you can fit them all together and make them into one entity to ride together on this ark. Hmm. And only the Lord knows, with that divine love and divine wisdom, knows all of our feelings and how they fit together and how somehow even to get our unclean feelings, our unclean thoughts And these very sensory, the creeping things are like just these sort of sensual, external pleasures, sort of the lowest things in our lives. How to get all those on the boat of salvation. Hmm. That is a trick, right? Mm -hmm. To get all those things. How would you fit them all together? And it's interesting. There's a little detail in the text in some translations where when they go on, they go two by two when they come off in Genesis 8:19 they're called families instead something's happened on the boat where they turned mm. into families as as they get off i i just think that's really interesting and i think it has something to do with the fact that by putting the centipede you know near the ostrich or you know they kind of <laughs> modify each other or soften each other because I I don't know, I'm out of my depth here. But um and the other thing that's really be- beautiful about it to me is that um we may feel sometimes like um God doesn't know what we're going through and if he did surely things would be different than they yeah. are, you know. It's just like there's a lot of crazy stuff going on outside us, inside us. Um I love this idea That what the Lord is looking at is a much deeper, longer game, an amazing game of knowing of all creatures, of all the sort of slots on this ark, which one is exactly yours. You are, even though you have a whole menagerie of thoughts and feelings in yourself, God knows what your main feeling is, that, that primary thing. And exactly what type of creature you are and where you slot into this whole thing so that it all works together and turns into one grand thing. Now, that is a trick to be able to turn that incredible diversity and even enmity of certain parts into one thing. And it just amazes me that that can be done to us as individuals and it can be done to everyone in heaven you know heaven is that ark and we're all individual animals and birds and mm, creepy things mm-hmm. getting on there and finding our particular niche where we're happy and work well with everybody and our contribution is appreciated and we appreciate what everybody else is bringing to the table so that's that's sort of a little sermon on swedenborg's interpretation of noah's ark
0: wow yeah well thanks it's amazing it it makes me think about, you know, like, well, what, what can we do? Or I think, you know, thinking about it it, from a personal perspective. And I just think of Noah on, on a boat and like, there's really not, you're pretty limited with what you're able to do when you're (laughs) on, on a flooded planet, so to speak, or like (laughs) theoretically, like, where are you going to go? You're just going to sail around in circles or something until, you know, until he finds land. But so, all we can do while the Lord is working this process in us is, is ride the waves, you know, be carried, be, you know, trust that we're in that boat and that this work is happening. It's cool to think about that personal application of what, what that can feel like of letting, letting the feelings be what they are and all the thoughts and know that there's a process of organization happening or something.
2: Yeah, one of my favorite ideas in Swedenborg's works is just this idea that there is a uh, a divine love, a divine wisdom that kind of knows everything that's going on, knows all mm-hmm. the details, and has the very, very long view in mind. And somehow that's very stuff that's way beyond our comprehension. And that's... Uh, where we're all going, sometimes it's a, you know, a wavy, bumpy ride. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Turbulent but, waters. Yeah. But we're we're all going somewhere, and we're being transformed by it.
0: Mm. Very cool. Well, thanks so much. This was quite a enlightening visit to the, to the desk of the NCE. And so, Jonathan, will you join me now, and we'll go onward to meet up with Curtis and see where Swedenborg was this week in history.
2: Oh, that'll be fun.
0: All right. Here we go. All right. So this week, we are going back to 1759. Mm. And on this very day, on December 13th, and we even get a timestamp this time from Swedenborg, we know that roughly at around 8 p.m., Swedenborg says that None other than King Louis the Fourteenth of France passed by him, spiritually speaking. And
1: oh, do you mean dead King Louis?
0: Exactly, not the living King of France, a King of France who had passed away in 1715, and now this is 1759. And here's what I think I'll just read you guys what he wrote in uh, his journal of spiritual experiences. Okay, because it just it. It'll just give us lots to to explore. All right. So this is fifty nine eighty. He says Louis the Fourteenth, who had been king of France for some time, and I'll pause and note he had been king of France the for the longest that anybody has ever reigned, a reigning monarch in Europe. Um, suddenly passed. Beneath me and descended by a flight of steps to a place below and a little to the front and spoke with me from there, saying that there was a Versailles there, meaning in the spiritual world, entirely as it was in his time. Likewise, a grove in front. Rooms were shown to me up close, just as they had been. In a word, it was now entirely like Versailles as it was at that time and is at the present day. And then it was realized that that he had fallen asleep, as it were, and then there was quiet around him everywhere, as when they would watch over him in sleep, lest he awake. And he continues, I too and those around me too were similarly silent for about two hours. After he woke up, he spoke with me and said that he was with the king of France, reigning at the present day, and has urged him on various occasions to desist from the bull eugenitus, which he had presented to Parliament. He told some of the things he had spoke about with him when he was with him, and that he entirely desisted, and that otherwise misfortune would have befallen. And he said that he also showed himself in a vision to him briefly. He said that the king was at that time lying in bed. This happened 1759 on the 13th of December, roughly around eight o'clock. Drama. So... It's amazing. This is, this is quite a remarkable claim. And am I right, Jonathan, that this got attention? Oh, because this was how he records the experience in his journal of spiritual experiences, but it was printed in his published work, uh, continuation of the last judgment or, or supplements. Is that right, Jonathan?
2: That's right. Yeah. It was very interesting to state a thing like this in print. And, uh, There are many things that he'll take from his spiritual experiences and publish, but he usually leaves the date off. Yeah. But this time, even in a published theological work, he includes not only the date, but that eight o'clock in the evening. So interesting. And it's very interesting to ponder why he did that.
1: Well, and the flip side is it's interesting that the King Louis is still interested in what's going on in his old stomping grounds. And that he has to come down and say, "Wait, don't do this very particular thing, because that's going to lead to misfortune." I mean, we could—that's a whole bundle of fascination.
2: And and when you look into the history of it, uh, that papal bull Unigenitus was something that King Louis the Fourteenth had encouraged the Roman Pope Clement the Eleventh, I think it was, uh, to you know, he had urged the Pope repeatedly to speak out against the Jansenists, who were kind of a breakaway group within Roman Catholicism in France and the yeah. Low Countries. And um, and that uh, papal bull, uh, P- papal edict, decree came down decree, yeah. in 1713, and then Louis XIV died at 77 years old in 1715. And he was still kind of working on getting his... Uh, top clergy in France to ratify it. And, you know, it, it was an active issue at the end of Louis the XIV's life.
0: Yeah. And then the interesting thing is that, you know, exploring a little bit about this, because I was like, what is he talking about? You know, getting into politics and stuff. And that same issue continued in in France for the following decades, even up to the point near to the date that Swedenborg hears about this from Louis the Fourteenth uh it was in 1754 that king louis the 15th so the one that that this uh spirit king louis the 14th was interacting with who was in the world at that time finally just uh forbade the continuation of the dispute around this um and sort of shut the whole thing down and it's interesting that that is kind of what we hear swedenborg Saying that he heard from the king was that King Louis XIV had originally been a proponent of it, you know, and then we hear from Swedenborg that he was actually somehow encouraging King Louis XV to put the whole thing to rest, you know, just like this is this is actually causing more problems than it's worth.
2: Um, And it's not common practice for European monarchs of the time to say, in effect, I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) <laughs> but that's basically what is being said here. Um, that Louis the Fourteenth realized, oh no, I, I've done something damaging to France. And as Curtis said, it's so interesting to me that he's still kind of tracking the newspapers or something. You know, somehow he knows what's going on in the country and can see this is really hurting France, and we got to change this.
0: And I find it so interesting, you know. So there's there's the whole sort of splashy. Swedenborg is having this vision of a previous king of France, you know, like how many people got to even have a, you know, a visit with the king of France in their earthly life. And here Swedenborg is getting one in the spiritual world or something. But, uh, but it's so, but even beyond that, just kind of the nature of the, you know, what he's describing witnessing or observing is that um, the king is saying he spoke with this king on uh, the living king of France. But it seems like it's sort of happening deep in his thought and when he might even be asleep, the, the living king. Like um, in, the, in the continuation of the Last Judgment, number 60, an interesting way that Swedenborg phrases it there is that he says that he instilled this idea deep into his thoughts. And so I feel like it brings up just the whole nature of spiritual communication, like that we could have spirits communicating with us, quote unquote, you can't see me doing air quotes, but we just experience it, I guess, as our own thoughts, or it might just be the kind of thoughts we're having when we wake up from sleep or something. I just find that fascinating.
1: And sort of the difference between ambient infrastructure, spiritual connection that Swedenborg describes where you've got these two angels and evil spirits with you, you have to have them stay conscious, or there's, you know, your general spirits you've attracted that are around you day to day, but here it seems like a very targeted mission that this one spirit went on to this other spirit to this other king who's still alive because he's the king and because he still could. So, and obviously someone he has a connection with his ancestor. So it certainly seems to be a whole third, uh, uh, third category of spiritual interaction besides the your everyday crowd of spirits and your sort of. Consciousness enabling angels and evil spirits. Yes. It's suddenly
2: making me think of the fact that Swedenborg says in other places that um, often leaders of countries, leaders of um, religious movements, are implored by angels to do this or not to do that. I think he said that Charles the Twelfth was begged not to keep going with the war, which did deplete the economy of Sweden and. Martin Luther was begged not to put faith alone into his Bible and and stuff like that. And so it's interesting to think of leaders having this special kind of intervening, you know, spiritual experience. As you say, Curtis, that it's more pointed than your usual generic um, soup of of spiritual influence that we all float in.
0: Yeah. And I really, I wonder about that because it's like, it's kind of comforting on the one hand that maybe we have all kinds of these angels who are like actively engaged in wanting to guide us. And yet within this system where we're kept entirely free so that we might not even know, you know, except for he says maybe he appeared in a vision briefly, you know, to him or something, which might not feel at all connected to his thoughts about what should I do about this, you know, papal bull thing or something.
1: Does he ever talk about Louis the XIV's character? Do we know is is Louis the XIV... Fourteenth? an ambassador of heaven or hell or something in between.
2: Other passages say that he was very, um, Swedenborg says he is among the happy, I think is a phrase he used at one point. And he's running a a whole kind of group of French people in the spiritual world. And and it is recorded. You can go to Wikipedia and see that he was a very, Religious person, at least you know he he did the rituals every day. He was well known by all his people as a a really, at least outwardly, the way he appeared, he he seemed like a deeply religious person. And Swedenborg says, in effect, that that was for real. It's interesting, and I don't know of what importance it is, but um, part of what the um, the Jansenists who the bull Unigenitus was against what they were saying was that you should read the Bible every day. Hmm. And uh, this was among a number of platforms that they kind of had. Uh, and the bull, bull Unigenitus sp- spoke against this. And I don't know, but certainly to Swedenborg, that would be a mistake. Anything that stands between people and scripture is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And did Louis the Fourteenth, when he got to the other side, realize, oh, you know, this is wrong, you know, what I what I did there. Uh, let's try to undo this through my great-grandson who's on the throne now.
0: Wow. Thanks so much, Curtis and Jonathan, for talking about this this week. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm Chelsea Odener, and we'll be here with you next week Inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Subscribe to Insight Off The Left Eye to be notified every time a new episode comes out. And you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offthelefteye.com. If you want to go the extra mile, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review, which helps others find the show. But you know, having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself. So I mean it when I say thank you for listening.